Welcome to Grace and Truth with Father George Rutler. Join Father Rutler as he talks about Catholic culture and doctrine, including grace, goodness, laughter, and humility. Here now is Father Rutler. I don't think I'm telling tales out of school when I say, literally, that our schools are not what they should be. That's putting it mildly. I think the state of education in the United States, on the whole, is relatively in meltdown. The question is, uh, can our schools be recovered? 20% of all Americans in a recent survey indicated that they thought uh, that we had landed a man on Mars, that a man had walked on Mars. Uh, that is the kind of distance from reality that governs much public uh, perception. In another survey uh, in the New York State University system, the vast majority of graduating seniors could not pass the test that's given to immigrants uh, to qualify them for United States citizenship. I'm not talking about arcane subjects, I'm talking about the date of the Declaration of Independence, who the father of the country was, and that kind of thing. If we are so detached from recent experience, it should not surprise us that the general mm, public information of the total human experience is practically non-existent. This has moral consequences before we are the children of Adam and of Eve. Yeah, if we do not know that they walked this earth and fell for a terrible lie, we will live their lie as well. Remember the prince of lies, Satan himself, uh, told our first ancestors that they could be as gods. And so entered in an imitation of reality. And when we live in imitation, we no longer can make our home with reality. Heaven is the ultimate reality. And if we lie, we cannot be citizens of the eternal kingdom. Now, that's why our first ancestors lost in paradise. Our society has come to take lying for granted. In fact, many people who lie in the public forum are admired for their cleverness in so doing. If a public figure is caught telling an inconvenient truth, it is said that he made a gaffe. If you look in the Old Testament, in the sixth chapter of the book of Proverbs, is a list of things abominable to God. And one of them is lying. God is truth. His word is truth. He is the truth itself. When he comes into the world in Christ, he says it. I, I am the way and the truth and the life. The way to heaven depends on our obedience to the truth of God. And our obedience to the truth of God, in turn, bestows eternal life. Without the truth, we lose our way and we die. 
I cannot imagine that after the experience of the 20th century, the people would still be oblivious to the consequences of lying. And yet they are. The 20th century is past. It is now history, and history is our civilized teacher. And yet, history has been removed from the curriculum. It's really astonishing to think that the 20th century is past. The 20th century was supposed to be the cutting edge of all existence. And that's why we're experiencing a kind of desperate ennui. If everyone, if everything was to be measured by the standards of what the 20th century considered um, to be true, what do we do in the 21st century? A high school boy told me not long ago that they were having a dance in his school. The theme was the 70s and they were all wearing costumes from the 70s and he did not mean the 1870s. It really brought me up. I realized that for a new generation, the 1970s really were a long time ago. Adam and Eve were not really a long time ago. I mean, they are alive in us. St. Paul said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives. But Adam also lives in us, in our fallen nature. As in Adam, all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. But Adam does die. And unless the Adam in us is conquered by the Christ in us, that death is forever. To use an unfashionable term, that is damnation. The 20th century came to revere lies, not only believe lies, but to extol lies, to admire lies and celebrate lies. Some of the best-selling books of the 20th century some of the most influential books of the 20th century were tissues and tissues of lies. In London, at the beginning of this century, that naive but influential couple, Beatrice and Sidney Webb, set up in uh, their house a little shrine to the man they thought was the prophet of the New Age, Lenin. And they conveniently ignored the horrors he was perpetrating, the forced famines he was engineering, the assassinations he was plotting. Conveniently ignored all those things because they were living a lie. Beatrice and Sidney Webb wrote one book after another claiming that Lenin's new order really was ushering in a worker's paradise. And so too, another book by the American journalist John Reed tried to persuade the West that what was happening in Russia was really the answer to man's long quest for a utopia in time and space. 
Margaret Mead wrote a book which virtually made her the prophet of modern anthropology. She, like uh, Rousseau in the 18th century, denied for all practical purposes the fallen nature of man, his original sin, Adam inherited in our blood. As she wrote about Samoa and the natives there and what an idyllic life they led before civilization corrupted them. I don't think I'm really distorting what she said. Her own peers have had to admit that she cooked her statistics. She misrepresented uh, what she saw. And then there was another Margaret, Margaret Sanger, who did far worse damage. But she came mm, to persuade a whole century that life is an enemy that children are a threat to civilization and that we and we alone uh, are creators, not procreators, but we are the engineers of population. She employed the racial theories of the Nazis. These are subjects that people do not like to admit now, but they are facts. And what she wrote was lie upon lie, yet she's still revered and still uh, quoted Alfred Kinsey in the United States, published surveys of sexual behavior in the human male and the human female. It is now admitted that he lied, and yet what he wrote is cited as some kind of biological gospel. And then, again, uh, in reference to population, Paul Ehrlich, the population bomb, made all kinds of extravagant predictions about the desolation of the earth by the end of the 20th century by overpopulation. Again, not just mistaken information was the guide, but deliberate misinformation and then spies wrote books justifying how they had sold out the free world to uh, dictators in the in the East. It's only been very recently that some of Alger Hiss's closest compatriots have had to admit that what he said to justify himself was not true. Other ages have spread misinformation. The 20th century spread disinformation, and that's far worse. There's something diabolical in the very word disinformation. It's really a twin to moral death. For when the intellect turns on itself and uses its perception to contradict its purpose, namely the spreading of truth, it does become suicidal. The 20th century, with all its achievements, nevertheless ended up confused and disappointed because it still was living the lie of old Adam. The Latin historian Suetonius writes of the Emperor Tiberius and his theological quandary. Remember, Tiberius was very big 
at the start of Christianity. The Sea of Galilee was sometimes referred to by his name. There was a village in the Holy Land named for him. But Tiberius concluded that the pantheon of the gods that he had been taught as a child was fiction. The gods of the old pantheon were myths and nothing other than myths. So, Suetonius says, Tiberius began to look at the heavens and the stars in the heavens and consult them. He looked into the pantheon and found it vacant. That really is an analogy of the human condition at the end of the modern age. The problem is the people have not only lost heart in the false gods, they have been told that the true God does not exist. It is not only the pantheon that seems empty to them, it is the church of God. Our Lord is truth, and he settles for nothing but the truth. This, of course, is what caused much astonishment amongst those who heard him. They actually remarked, nobody ever spoke so clearly as this man. No one ever told it the way it is. It's did this man and yet many of them most of them preferred to live more comfortable lives when you do that you become alive and all the hope that God offers us disappears and we dissolve into what has to be called fear oh we may dress it up and in a more sophisticated way, call it angst or anxiety, but it basically is a fear that there's a vast emptiness in the holy places and that the only sense we can make out of the world is by looking above and trying to make some sense of the motion of the stars above. So superstition replaces uh, true doctrine. Louis the Fourteenth of France, as a young man, lived just three years in the Tuileries, which can still be visited in Paris, attached to the Louvre Palace. Someone pointed out to him one day that on a clear day he could look out the window and see on the horizon, the Church of Saint-Denis, the traditional burial church of the kings of France. This was no consolation to Louis, for although he was baptized and reared a Catholic, in his heart of hearts, Adam was too much alive. He was the Sun King and it was no consolation to know that only the Son of God is really a king and that all earthly rule derives from him. Louis's solution was simple, but it was also a lie. He added a wing on to the royal palace to block the view of the royal tombs. I think again 
we have there another allegory of the ennui of civilization at the end of the 20th century busyness distraction amusement these things are built to block the fact of our mortality and again when we believe that lie we participate in the oldest lie of all if we think we're gods if I define the space around me if truth is only my perception if one religion is as good as another or if I can get on without any religion save an exaltation of my own prerogatives then I am living the old lie by which Adam fell you shall be as gods and that is why Jesus says that Satan was a liar from the beginning he doesn't say that uh, Satan lied mm, through the Romans or the Greeks or the Pharisees Satan lied from the very moment the first human appeared for his very constitution is to contradict the divine will the Christ was crucified because of lies when he was taken before the Sanhedrin witnesses contradicted themselves they claimed that he had said that he would destroy the temple and he didn't say that what he did say was if this temple be destroyed in three days I will raise it up to live a lie is to be afraid of the truth why do we call the good thief on the cross next to Christ good simply because he was willing to overcome his fear and embrace the truth he says this man has done nothing wrong measure those words that's not simply like um, a jury acquitting someone a jury will say that the accused did not do what he was accused of doing but the good thief says that Jesus of Nazareth did nothing wrong that is an unprecedented statement even the pagans rarely dared say that about their mythical gods and the good thief did not know that Jesus was the incarnation of, of God but he did know that he had done nothing wrong and one can only read into that a mystical intuition for at that moment he was not simply talking about the charges brought against Christ he was talking about a Christ's proclamation of the kingdom the eternal kingdom which passes not away that's why the thief says rabbi Jesus Jesus he calls him by a name that his own disciples did not dare use out of reverence 
Jesus. That's all he knows about man. That he is a man and his name is Jesus, but he has a kingdom and he's honest. Jesus, bring me into your kingdom. The Greeks talked about Diogenes searching for an honest man. Diogenes represents the philosophical pursuit of truth. Diogenes walked through the streets with a lamp looking for one honest man. Well, there is at least one famous painting of Christ holding a lamp, that by Holman Hunt, famous Victorian painting. You've seen it, Jesus knocking on, on the door, the vines are growing up on the door, it's the door of the soul. And Christ, head pierced with the thorns, is holding a lamp, he's knocking on the door. This is the image of Christ's prophetic statement. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone open, I will come in. Jesus is searching for the honest soul in culture. He's looking for the honest things we do, intermingled with all the lies we tell. He's looking for himself, who is displaced by Adam every time we sin. But Jesus does not need the light. Jesus is the light. He says it, I am the light of the world. And this completely changes all perception. Jesus is no longer merely a teacher. He never was only that. From the beginning of time, before there was time, he is uh, the truth. Our society has lost heart for that truth. A spokesman for one highly placed political figure not long ago said that so-and-so has kept all the campaign promises he intended to keep. That is something that we've come to expect to hear at the end of the modern age. But what was most extraordinary was that so few people were offended by it, so few people questioned it, so, people, so few people thought that it was the contradiction of personal dignity and the dignity of the human race. Jesus is the light of the world. He alone knows the truth. He says, I know him. Speaking of the Father, I know him. And if I denied that, if I denied that I knew the Father, I would be a liar. I would make myself a liar as you yourselves are liars. There are voices in our society today that want the church to lie, that want the church to water down the truths about God, how he has made the world, how he has saved the world, how he moves through the Holy Spirit, in his holy church. There are those who want to refashion the church according to the Adam in them. But honest souls see through that. The actor Alec Guinness, a convert to the faith many years 
has said in what he says, describes as the last book he intends ever to write, that the thing he regrets most in life is not having become a Catholic sooner. Well, you might say that an actor makes a profession of lying. But that's really not what acting is about. Real acting is playing out the truths of life on the stage, in symbolic form, inappropriated language, but serving the truth. And I think a great actor, like Guinness, realizes that the greatest drama of all is on no other stage but the stage of human history and that there is no theme more compelling to an audience than the passion and resurrection of Christ. Certainly the good thief knew that. God in his infinite mercy reminds us, reminds us of that with great delicacy time and time again. If the story of Adam is very old, so is the story of Job. In the 38th chapter of Job, God says, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Uh, have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. He says that to us. He says that to us at the end of what we vainly call the modern age. And all we can do to get rid of the old Adam and to embrace the new Christ is to say that most honest thing that a thief ever said. This man has done nothing wrong. And when anyone criticizes Christ, when anyone criticizes his holy church, when anyone criticizes his apostles and their successors, when everyone criticizes the saints, ask them, what have they really done wrong? What did Christ do that was wrong? And what is he doing now that is wrong? It is the world that lies against Christ. But when we say he's done nothing wrong, then he will say to us what Adam longed to hear. This day you will be with me in paradise. Please join us again next time for Grace and Truth with Father George Rutler on EWTN, Global Catholic Radio.